Welcome to the Abiding Marriage Podcast. I'm Sean Salberg. And I'm Glenn Salberg, her husband. So glad he could join us. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been a long time listener with us. You know, in today's episode, we want to talk about a question that we often get from couples. And that question is simply, how can I rebuild trust with my spouse? You know, this most often happens in situations like adultery or the use of pornography, but it can also be from other issues where one spouse feels lied to, betrayed, or deceived by their spouse. Mm -hmm. Things like inappropriate conversations with the opposite gender, hiding activities or purchases from your spouse, Mm -hmm. not being open and honest about your financial situation. In each of these cases, trust has been lost. And it's so important for you as a husband or a wife to understand the need to walk through this season of rebuilding trust. So we want to share with you today some of the things that can help you on this path of rebuilding trust as a couple. So please stay with us to hear more. And as always, thank you for joining us on this journey of marriage. going to say something that really should be obvious to every husband and wife listening, but I must begin the episode sharing this important truth. You know, trust is foundational to having a marriage relationship. And while I know that's probably not new news (laughs) to anybody that's listening, uh, we want to remind you of this truth. No marriage can really grow and thrive the way that God's designed it unless trust is there for both the husband and the wife. So when trust has been broken, we need to know that not only is it possible to rebuild trust, but there are ways to help you in that process of rebuilding trust with your spouse. Definitely. And let me emphasize what Glenn said. Rebuilding trust is a process. Mm -hmm. And this process requires both the husband and the wife to do their part. No matter who it was that broke the trust... Both spouses must play a role in that rebuilding. And the process isn't easy, Mm. but it is so worth it if you are willing to put in the hard work. So as we talk about trust, you're going to find that you're going to first need to trust God to lead Mm. you and to help you through this process. Yeah, you know, God's help is available for both of you. But you have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you as you walk through this process step by step. You know, it's going to look a little different for each couple and your individual situation, but there are some parts that are common to every couple's process of rebuilding trust. And Glenn and I don't say this from a purely theological perspective. We actually walked through this process ourselves after Glenn's adultery early in our marriage. And we so wish that we had had someone to help us both to understand this process and to guide us through it step by step. Before we get into some of the steps, we need to build a foundation about how the Bible talks about trust. The Bible's not silent on the topic because, of course, God in His Word gives us the wisdom we need to deal with the challenges we will face in all relationships, including marriage. And prior to Sean sharing these verses from Jeremiah 17, let me just paint a picture for those of you that may not be familiar with the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. If I had to sum up the book, it would be about the prophet bringing a message to God's people, urging them to repent. 
to repent from not trusting in God and instead trusting in other things in their life that cannot really help them. Mm-hmm. So the verses I'm about to read are really key verses about the choices that we have about who or what we put our mm-hmm. trust in. So Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says, This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. You know, in this passage, we see the Lord painting a clear contrast between two people. You know, one is found in verses 5 and 6, and the other is found in verses 7 and 8. You know, in verses 5 and 6, there's a person who puts their trust in mere humans, and who relies on human strength. Uh, then, it, then it adds that this person, in essence, is turning his or her heart away from the Lord. You know, it's clear that this is not a person who either knows or has come to a place of trusting God in the situation that they're in. But God's not finished describing what's going on with this person. We're not only told what they are trusting in, But we also get a picture of where they end up Mm. as a result of that trust. So the verse says, they are like stunted shrubs in the desert. It also says they live in a barren wilderness. And then don't miss the words, with no hope for the future. This does not sound like a place where you (laughs) or I I want to end up. I don't want to end up there, do you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but we could if we do not truly put our trust in the right source and that right source is not ourselves Mm. or our own strength and ability. You know, then as we go on to verses seven and eight, we see the contrast of the other person and where their trust is. The verse says, those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Another Bible translation says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. You know, that first translation not only tells me that the person trusts God, but further describes that it is making the Lord their hope and confidence. You know, that's really a good description of trust, you know, where we put our hope and where we put our confidence. But I'll share the second translation as well because I like what it says, the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. This speaks to us trusting a person, right? The one who created us, the one who cares for us, and the one who will hear us when we cry out to him for help. And just like in the earlier verses, God not only describes the person, but he also paints a picture of where he or she ends up as a result of the source of their trust. And this one is an encouraging picture. Yes, for sure. It says that the person is like a tree planted beside a riverbank 
Oh, what a picture. A place where the tree can have a ready source of water that it needs. Mm. Then it goes on to paint another picture, not of a perfect place like the Garden of Eden was, but rather the world that you and your spouse live in yes, every day. for sure. The verses talk about heat and about drought. But even in these hard seasons, the trees develop such deep roots that allow it to be nourished that its leaves remain green and it continues to bear fruit. And that's how we should all desire our life to be in the midst of the problems that heat and drought bring our way. A place where our roots go down deep into God's provision so that we can continue to walk faithfully, even in very hard seasons of life. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, as we summarize this passage and what it shows us about trust, we see that you and I have a choice. You know, we can choose to place our faith and trust in our own ability, or we can choose to place our faith and trust in God as He walks with us and guides us through the heat and the drought that we all face as husbands and wives. You know, the choice is yours. But I'd also like to add that if you're a Christ follower, you have help to make that right choice. You can do this through prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And that leads us to the second passage that we want to share on trust in the Bible. It is found in Psalm 28, 6-7. But before we get to these verses, I want to share how David starts Psalm 28 just to give us some context. Mm. David says, I pray to you, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. So in this psalm, David is clearly Mm, crying out to God for his help. We don't know his situation But we do know what his response is to his situation. It's crying out in prayer to the Lord. So here's what David goes on to share in verses 6 and 7. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. So we know the context of the song as David is crying out for help. But then in these verses, he talks about the Lord being his strength and being his shield. You know, he talks about trusting the Lord with all his heart. And he also says that as a result of this, his heart is filled with joy. And he he says he burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So, So there's at least three things that you and I can glean from these two short verses. Number one... We need to remember that the who the Lord is. You know, David said he was his strength and said he was his shield. So like the like the tree that we talked about in Jeremiah 17, you need to know that he is your source and you need to allow your thoughts and your actions to follow the truth of him mm-hmm. that that he is your shield right. and he is your strength. Secondly, we must take steps of faith in order to really be able to say I trust him with all my heart. You know, in situations where trust has been broken, there are always many steps of faith that need to be taken in order to regain that trust. And you saying that you trust the Lord 
ultimately means that you need to take those steps of faith with His help. Mm-hmm. And then third, I think the third thing we see is that after we do the first two steps, which is remembering who the Lord is and taking steps of faith and action, then you can actually end up in a place of having the joy of the Lord. When he was talking about the joy and, and songs of thanksgiving, you know, this is not because he's changed your situation necessarily, but because he is giving you what you need in the midst of your challenging situation. Mm-hmm. So from the Jeremiah passage, I think it's clear that God is showing us that we have a choice when it comes to rebuilding trust in our relationship with our spouse, no matter what has happened. Mm, yeah. Again, we know that rebuilding trust is not easy to do, but God is providing a choice where He is our source, and He is the one that will give us the strength to do the things we need to do. God's wanting to walk with you through this process. It's part of how you are putting your faith in Him into action. So it's not only what you believe, but how you act as a result of what you believe. Mm-hmm. You know, when Glenn and I were going through our time of rebuilding trust, I had to remind myself over and over again that God knew my heart and he knew mm-hmm. the pain and the hurt that mm-hmm. I still felt in waves that would come. Even as I was working through this process of healing and trying to trust Glenn again, God was still with me and helping me through it. But for many months during the beginning of this process, I really struggled to trust Glenn again. But as he worked on his part of the process and began spending more time reading God's Word and spending time listening and putting into practice to learn what it meant to be a Christ follower, I really began to be able to trust Christ in Glenn. Mm. And that came way before I even trusted Glenn as a man. Mm. I really still needed to see consistent, trustworthy words and actions in him before I could fully trust him again. But the fact that God was transforming Glenn from the inside out, from the old Glenn to the new Glenn, gave me the ability to trust Christ working in him way before I was able to trust him as a person again. Mm. This was definitely a hard season for me, and it took time and patience. But my faith and trust in God walking with us, and also Glenn being willing to cooperate with God and take the action steps that he needed to do on his end, really helped me continue to persevere through the hard work of rebuilding that trust. This was definitely a hard season for us, you know, but one where I really learned the importance of surrendering to the Lord completely, you know, and that brings me back to the Psalms passage and something I shared earlier that that's part of where David calls the Lord his strength and his shield. You know, in those two words, David really paints a picture of someone who both protects and someone who provides help. You know, much like the message of Jeremiah 17 we talked about as well, we must remember the foundation of the Lord being our help and our strength. He's our source, especially when we're struggling. We don't have the strength in ourselves to take that next step of faith that He's calling us to take. You know, in our days of rebuilding trust in our marriage, I really had to fight the temptation to say, Like, can we just be done with this? (laughs) Can we just fast forward through all this extra work and just get to the place where you trust me again? 
I really had to guard against doing that because there's really no way to fast forward this process. Uh, when, when, when trust has been broken, they, I really need to be patient in the process. I myself had to work on trust, trusting God and working and, and trusting that God was working in my wife differently, but in his timing, you know, working in both of us. You know, my wife was taking steps of faith that she needed to take, and I had to focus on doing my part in, in that trust process, too. So the foundation of God being with me as my source of strength was critical so I, I could have the, you know, the Spirit-led patience in that process to take the steps I needed to take and to show that I was a new Glenn, as, as my wife shared earlier, one who's trustworthy. In this process of rebuilding trust, think of what we just shared as step number one. It's a thing, it's, it's what we call a vertical step, a step we take towards God. And this is the first and most crucial of all the steps we'll talk about. And something to keep in mind as we go forward with the next steps in the trust building process. While I do not think that there's just one definition that can completely encompass what it means to rebuild trust, I love this simple but powerful definition of trust. So trust is consistent behavior over Mm, time. That's good. Consistent behavior that shows you're willing to do whatever it takes to mend the damage that you've caused. Consistent behavior that comes alongside your spouse to show the priority of your marriage and the time needed to rebuild this connection that you've broken. Consistent behavior that keeps God at the center of your life so that He can transform you and your marriage during this process. So now that we understand step one and a simple definition of trust, let's move on to the next steps needed in this process of rebuilding trust. And these are what we call horizontal steps. That's because they are primarily between you and your spouse, but they all have their foundation in step one that we already talked about. And these steps that we're sharing with you We've adapted from a Desiring God post that's entitled Four Steps to Rebuild Trust, and we're going to provide a link to this in our show notes. So we're going to be using the term offending spouse to refer to the spouse who has broken trust, and we will be using the term injured spouse to refer to the spouse who's been hurt by this loss of trust. So step two is what we call admitting and repenting. You know, the offending spouse must admit and repent what they've done. You know, trust can't even begin to be restored if the offending spouse doesn't acknowledge and own up to the pain that they've caused to the injured spouse. You know, I'll quote a portion of the article that says, Admitting and repenting is in and of itself a process and one that should not be short on sorrow, shame, tears, and apologizing. So there has to be more than mere words As part of the admitting and repenting, there should be some God-given emotions as well from knowing the pain and the heartache that you have caused as the offending spouse. In meeting with couples and in our own situation, we recognize this as a step that must take place in order for the rest of the steps to work. If the offending spouse is not going to take full responsibility for what they've done, 
or if they're shifting the blame in some way to the injured spouse for what's happened, then really nothing's mm-hmm. going to be able to move forward. Sure. Absolutely. Because true repentance hasn't taken place and you've not taken full responsibility for what's happened. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. One leads to lasting change, Mm -hmm. and one, he says, leads to death. We've walked with many spouses in this situation, and we always tell the offending spouse to cooperate with God in crying out for a godly sorrow that leads to true transformation in them. And then we tell the injured spouse to cry Mm. out on behalf of their spouse because we do believe from God's word that there is no true transformation without real repentance. And there's no Mm. real repentance Mm. without true godly sorrow. So having godly sorrow is going to help in the process of admitting and repenting, which can lead to true transformation. If the offending spouse is genuinely admitting and repenting, then the next step is defining and exhibiting trustworthy actions. This is where the husband and wife must work together to define actions that demonstrate to the injured spouse that the offending spouse is willing to sacrifice for the healing and the restoration of the marriage relationship. A common situation we run into in, for this in the rebuilding of trust is the use of pornography and the loss of trust and all the hurt around that. You know, in this situation, we recommend the offending spouse give their injured spouse complete access to all their devices to be checked at any time, right? And the injured spouse may want to put some kind of monitoring software on their spouse's electronic devices to help their spouse be more accountable in not using those devices to look at things inappropriately. And, you know, this is just one example of the kind of steps we're talking about that a couple must define together and that the offending spouse must begin to do consistently as well. Yeah. And to you, if you're the offending spouse, these steps are going to likely hurt your pride. Mm. You know, you may feel like, oh, this is going overboard and ridiculous, and you shouldn't have to do all these things. But remember... This is a consequence of your untrustworthy actions that brought you to this point. Mm. This is part of the sacrifice that's going to be necessary for trust rebuilding to move forward. Both the injured spouse and the offending spouse need to work together. The injured spouse needs to be able to share what behaviors need to start or need to change in order for the rebuilding trust process to begin. And the offending spouse needs to be willing to be patient and intentional at working hard on these outward behaviors that's going to bring the injured spouse closer to trusting you again. And remembering all the while that outward behavior is a lot harder and only temporary Mm. if it's not coming from a place of inward heart behavior of godly sorrow and repentance. You know, a few other examples of outward adjustments that might need to be considered in rebuilding trust, Uh, sharing passwords, allowing access to social media accounts or getting a shared account, you know, checking in with your spouse during the workday or or tracking locations. You know, if if trust has been lost for financial spending, 
and you may need to get together and come up with a plan to have categories with spending limits and a need to limit credit card usage. Maybe you need to do a, a weekly review of financial statements and, and, and see if the spending is too high or out of bounds for what y'all had, had determined together. Remember, this is, this is really about being a good steward of what God's given you and working together in a loving way to restore what's been broken. Mm-hmm. And one final thing, we're going to call it over-communicating. <laughs> yes, yes. Be sure to let the injured spouse know every single detail about your activities for each day and communicate if those details are going to change. Even if you think it's insignificant, Mm. because in this season of rebuilding trust, every detail matters. Refer back to our episode number 19, where we shared warning signs in marriage and some guardrails that you can put in place to guard your marriage relationship going forward. So after the second step of admitting and repenting has begun... And then sitting down as a couple to define what those trustworthy actions are for the offending spouse to take, we get to step number four in this process, and that is the injured spouse recognizing and encouraging the trustworthy actions of the offending spouse. So if the situation is one where the husband is the offending spouse, then the wife is the one who needs to recognize the steps her husband is taking. She should verbally appreciate and encourage her husband often as he is taking these steps. If you're not acknowledging or taking the husband's steps of sacrifice for granted, it can lead to Mm. resentment to build Mm. in him, and he's going to wonder why is he even trying. Mm. You know, and as a caveat, even if the wife does take his actions for granted and doesn't recognize them much, that's really no excuse for the husband not making the sacrifice and not being consistent in doing these trustworthy actions anyway. You know, we are called by the Lord to take these steps regardless of how our spouse may or may not respond. Mm-hmm. However, the likelihood of trust being rebuilt is so much greater mm. yes. if the injured spouse can consistently recognize the efforts of the offending spouse in this process of rebuilding trust. You know, and many of the resources that we've seen on trust rebuilding over the years leave out this critical step, and I think we think it's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always the step of establishing trustworthy actions and accountability, but there's really not much said about the recognizing and encouraging of those trustworthy actions. And again, in these four steps, it is really critical. Yeah, and here's what Desiring God Post shares on this even. They say, trust increases when both people are willing to push themselves, while one partner shows that they are willing to take steps to actively rebuild trust, the other partner also must show that they are willing to entrust themselves to that partner. You know, we would add that both spouses are continually going back to step one. Yes. You know, the foundational step of trusting God and taking the steps He is asking you to take individually to make the whole process work. Mm-hmm. You know, so to summarize the four steps, here they are. Step one, trusting God, really the foundational step. Step two, admitting and repenting. Step three, defining and exhibiting trustworthy actions. And step four, recognizing and encouraging those trustworthy actions. 
One critical need for every couple in this process of rebuilding trust is reaching out to others for help. You really can't remain isolated and just try to do this between the two of you. You know, the offending spouse needs accountability from someone other than you as their spouse as they work through this process of godly sorrow and repentance and transformation. And the injured spouse needs someone to walk alongside them to help comfort them through this process and also encourage them in the steps that they are needing to take. And this is something both spouses need to really be committed to do to help in this process. And as we've shared in previous episodes, it's a chance for the body of Christ, which is your close connections at your church, other Christ followers you may know, to be a part of God's provision for both of you during this challenging time of rebuilding trust. So don't miss out on this part of God's provision for you. Reach out to others for this encouragement and accountability and believe that God's going to use them to help both of you through this. You know, I want to share a story from a, a book by Heath Lambert. And uh, really, this is the story of two men. Uh, and I'm just going to read this. You know, both were caught looking at pornography, and both of their wives are deeply hurt by this. Both of them are showing all the signs of being sorry for this, and both of the men look on the outside the same. Men who are sorry for what they have done and seemingly willing to do whatever it takes to make things right again. But over the months ahead, these two men and their marriages end up in very different places. One ends up with a restored marriage relationship and one does not. The difference, one truly had godly sorrow and the other one had only worldly sorrow. And just like Paul shared in 2 Corinthians 7, they ended up in very different places. You know, I share that quote from Heath Lambert's book because I want to go back to the definition of trust we shared earlier, consistent behavior over time. You know, time will show what is going on in the heart of the offending spouse, but we must trust God and really take the steps of trust that we need to take in this rebuilding process, as well as continue to take steps of faith in our vertical relationship with the Lord. And we want to end our time with a quote from the Desiring God post. Anchor your heart in the unfailing words of a faithful God, and His words will give you the strength to engage in the terrifying activity of entrusting yourself to someone who has betrayed you. When we are called to forgive and be restored, which means making ourselves vulnerable again in some way, Only God's promise of comfort and closeness can, in the end, ease our anxieties and soothe any future pain. Our hope, our trust, and our faith do not find their strength or confidence in the actions of a fellow sinner, but in the steadfast love of a sinless Savior. There and there alone, we will find a well of trust that never Mm. runs dry and never betrays. That's so good. So good. So if you're walking through this process, please check out our show notes for some additional resources to help you. Yeah, let me take a moment to pray. Um, Lord, um, for, for a husband or wife listening that's in the midst of this trust rebuilding process, Lord, I just want to, I want to call out to you on their behalf, Lord. I want to ask you to help them to take that first step of really trusting you 
which is the foundational step for all of them, Lord, but also um, day by day to do the things they need to do in their relationship with you and their spouse to rebuild trust, Lord. Thank you that you've given us the power and the ability and the steps to do this. So help us to walk into this confident, Lord, but yet humble, um, that you are in the process and that when our spouse and I are both cooperating with you, you can do wonderful and amazing things in rebuilding trust. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Abiding Marriage Podcast. We are so thankful that you are here. We're thankful for you. And we hope that you can share this with others because our hope is to help as many couples as we can to grow and thrive in their relationship Mm. with each other and with the Lord. So thank you for being willing to grow in your relationship with one another and with the Lord. And we hope you'll come back for another episode. Hey, God bless y'all.